How's everybody doing? Good. <clears throat> Trivia question. If you know it, don't ruin it. How old is Billy Graham? Just say, what, what do you think he is? Everyone thinks 93? That's, everyone thinks that? <laughs> sure. I know that some people in this room probably think he's like 71, 65. He's not. 95. 95. Anybody in this room uh, ever met him or, or seen him preach? Anybody? Anything? Lex? Awesome. I have a friend from Bible College who um, is popular. And um, he's a great Bible teacher, and he takes all these photos with popular people. And the best one, he's sitting with Billy Graham in his living room. I'm like, man, that's awesome. I would love to meet Billy Graham um, for a number of reasons. Um, but let me back up. Tonight we're going to um, – oh, yeah, there's some good pictures of him. Tonight we're going to talk uh, about the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. So this is Acts 18. Uh, 23, 23 through 1920. So if you have your Bibles, um, just open them up to Acts chapter 18. Um, and the title of this sermon is called The Preeminence of God's Word. And um, you know, if you know Billy Graham, he believed in the preeminence of God's Word. And uh, he became, uh, um, he was like a director of a university and a seminary when he was 29 years old. So he was preaching from a very young age, and you know that he was obviously very effective. And he had a, he had, um, a guy that he taught with named Charles uh, Templeton. And, they, and by most uh, accounts, Charles Templeton was uh, a better teacher, was more charismatic, and, and, uh, and so he was just an all-around kind of a better teacher. But they were friends, and they were doing crusades. And... Um, when Charles was, when Billy Graham was about 31 years old, he started to have these doubts about God's word. And, um, you know, I'm talking to hundreds and thousands of people and about the truthfulness of God's word. And if I, you know, so he was wrestling with this. At the same time, his, um, his friend and partner, Charles Templeton, started to have these same doubts too. And he's like, well, I'm going to go to school and uh, I'm going to go to Princeton. So he went to Princeton, and after his first semester, they met, they had coffee, and um, uh, Charles says, um, Billy, he says, you're 50 years out of date. He said, people no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. Your language is out of date. <clears throat> you're going to have to learn new jargon if you're going to be successful in your ministry. So note that he wasn't attacking the Bible. He was saying, if you want to be successful in your ministry, you have to understand that the Bible really isn't inspired. You have to change the language. And it was affected by some popular guys in theology at the time who were saying such things. So on top of his doubt, his, his good friend says this, and he's hurting. On top of that, Henrietta Mears, um, who owned a, uh, she came from a wealthy family. Uh, she was in Hollywood Presbyterian. 
she started the Sunday school there. It started out with 450 kids in the Sunday school, and then she uh, brought it up to uh, 4,500. So she just had a, a um, great heart for the Lord. Um, and she had land in the Redlands uh, next to L.A. up in the mountains. She asked Billy, hey, do you want to teach at this retreat? He says, sure. He's at the retreat. He's walking around. Um, Forest Home is the name of the camp. It's a beautiful place. I've been there multiple times. Take, we take our kids there, um, the youth group, multiple times. Um, and he's walking around the forest there, and he's um, just kind of wrestling with what's on his heart. And um, he go, the, the light's out. Uh, the moon is out, so it's, it's lit. So he kind of walks off the trail, sees a stump on the ground, and he puts his Bible on the, on the tree stump, and it's next to this massive big rock. And, um, and he starts crying. And um, he, he prays. Uh, no, don't answer this out loud, but what do you think he prayed? What do you think he said um, as he's wrestling through this? Um, so we'll leave the story there. I'll tell you what he said in a little bit. Uh, just a quick outline of our sermon tonight. Um, there's a kind of a theme verse. Uh, it's... Uh, Acts 18.23. Is that up there? So this is the very beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. It says, after he spent some time there um, in Antioch, he departed and went over the, um, the region of Galatia and Phygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So this is his third trip around. He keeps on doing these loops. They get a little bigger. They, he goes deeper each time. He spends more time as, as time uh, goes on. This is what people consider his third missionary journey. And he just really wants to strengthen the disciples, okay? Whatever that looks like, he wants to strengthen the disciples. Do we have a map of that? <laughs> I love maps. So you can see right here on the top right, Antioch. That's where he starts. And he kind of goes through there, heads up to Asia Minor um, in Ephesus, which Jerry taught last week and kind of mentioned that Ephesus was a massive, huge city, um, very important, very um, diverse um, goes up, and uh, we'll cover all this um, in the next couple weeks. But tonight we're only doing half of it. Um, but I just want to show you a map. And then if you want to, um, on your Bible, underline um, the 23rd verse. That's kind of the start of his third journey. Um, and, and what we're going to talk about tonight are three separate stories. It's all, it all kind of seems a little bit ran, random. There's some connection between all three of them. One, the first one, uh, we know this guy, Apollos. It's in Ephesus. The next story is Paul in Ephesus, and the next story after that is in Ephesus, but it's neither Paul nor Apollos, and it's just telling a story about how the people uh, dealt with a problem there. But in all three stories, there is a connection, and it's, it's connected, it is founded, it is, um, uh, it is on um, God's word, connects all three stories, and I think it's, uh, it's very special. So anyways... What years are we looking at? Anybody off the top of their head? In, in history, what, what years are we looking at? 50, yeah. So it's like uh, 53 to 58 around there. That's what we're looking at. Um, and then we'll go to our first story. So Acts 18.24. And this is Apollos in Ephesus. Um, now a certain Jew named Apollos, uh, born at Alexandria... An eloquent man and mighty in scriptures came to Ephesus. 
Alexandria, uh, if Ephesus was a big city, Alexandria was bigger, had the world's biggest library. See, uh, that picture right there is the old library in Ephesus. Uh, Alexandria's library uh, was a lot bigger than that. So Alexandria is kind of the, uh, the mecca of education, if you, you know, that's where everyone was, and it was a huge, massive city, um, tons of education there. He was an eloquent man. This is the only time in the New Testament that the word eloquent is used. Isn't that weird? Jesus wasn't called eloquent. Um, but he was an eloquent man. He was, he was um, mighty in Scripture. So not only was he eloquent, but what he said, um, it was mighty in Scripture. So all these good things. He came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. I think that's another way of saying he had, um, he had religious upbringing, too. Like kind of the Apostle Paul, he learned the scriptures when he was a little child. And um, he was instructed. It was proper. It was formal. So Apollos isn't a stupid guy. Um, we, can leave, we can say that. <clears throat> He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. So right there, you want to have a good teacher or, or someone that you want to listen to, this is it. Um, so, he, you know, he, he's had education. He comes from a, a huge, massive city. It makes him a cool guy. Um, he's fervent in spirit, which, you know, what you want to see is like, wow, this guy, not only can he teach well, but he, he loves what he's teaching. He, you know, he's fervent in spirit, and he speaks and teaches accurately the things of the Lord. Amen. And then it has this thing, and it says, though he only knew of the baptism of John. It's kind of wild. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Aquila and Priscilla, they met up with Paul in Corinth. They were actually tent makers. They had that in common with uh, Paul. And we don't know really too much about them, but I don't think they were educated. And so they're listening to this guy. He's passionate. He's teaching. He's educated. And they're like, He's like a disciple of John the Baptist. This is 20 years, you know, he didn't get the text message that Jesus came, uh, you know, that, that he fulfilled prophecy. And, and so they take him aside, and in the Greek it kind of says they, they did it privately. They didn't do it in public. And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. A couple fast things. Aquila and Priscilla did things. Uh, they did, they, they corrected Apollos. Um, and I don't know if we would do. I don't know if we would do that. I don't know if I would do that. I'd be like, "Oh, this guy's cool, but he's kind of a kook." I'll walk out the door, or, or walk out the door and type something up. This guy, you know. But they um, they didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't dismiss him. They took him aside privately. They probably did it in a humble way because um, Apollos received it. But they just should. I want to. Uh, I want that to encourage us. Amen. Um, I want that to encourage us. We also have a lesson from Apollos. Here's an educated guy who's, you know, mighty in Scripture, knows things. And for those of us who are leaders and teach the Bible in, uh, in school, in a Sunday school or at a university, whatever, <clears throat> may, may we just be, have a teachable, humble spirit. Amen? A teachable, humble spirit. Lastly, Apollos believes the testimony. So uh, Priscilla and Aquila say, hey, Jesus, this is who John the Baptist was pointing to. 
That's a big claim, right? His whole worldview has just been kind of broken by Aquila and Priscilla. Who are they? I don't know. And he's like, well, this is a big claim. It's either true or not true. And him, knowing the scriptures, knowing, knowing um, uh, that they were uh, looking for a coming Messiah, he believed it. So if there was someone to say, you know, well, that's not real true, it could have been Apollos. Uh, I know the scriptures. It's not pointing to Jesus. It's, but he believed their testimony, which I think is a powerful, um, that in itself is a powerful testimony. Um, 27. And when he desired to cross Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He believes their testimony. He wants to go over to Acacia. The disciples um, in Ephesus, hey, receive this guy. He's good. He arrives there, and he greatly helps those who had believed through grace. Why grace? Be- I don't know. Because John was, a, was an Old Testament prophet. Through Moses came the truth, but through Jesus came truth and grace. Amen? So he wasn't experiencing a grace that came with Christ. But now that he had, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. <clears throat> Last verse in, uh, of the first story, verse 28. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So how did he help out the believers in Corinth? Um, in Acacia, how did he help them out? By vigorously refuting the Jews publicly, showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So the first point that I want to make tonight, the first truth, is that God's word um, is prophetic. It's the prevailing prophetic truthfulness of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. All three of those things just happened in um, Apollos' life. Okay? Um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. Not only is God's word true in that it corrects and it, and it, and it, um, it rebukes and it, and it uh, makes righteous, but, it, but it's prophetic. And that's different. Uh, so God's word is true. There's tons of uh, scriptures and in, in, in the uh, messages in the Proverbs and the Psalms that speak of like real common sense stuff, right? Spend all your money, lay around your house, you're probably going to be poor. Save money, you work hard, you'll, you might, you'll, you'll do well. Real basic stuff. I saw a book of uh, the writings of Buddha compared to the writings of Proverbs, and some of them were almost identical. Identical. True. A lot of religious writings that have truth to them. The Bible has prophetic truth. And that um, is, un, is unique. It's uncomparable. I, write, I was riding a train in, in uh, York. I was in Bible college. This girl sits next to me. Why are you in York? Oh, I, I'm studying the Bible. She, you know, she didn't have a clue about the Bible. You know, cool, whatever. He's probably, whatever. And I, and I just shared, well, I think the Bible is fascinating. Why? Well, it's unlike any other book that has ever been written, ever. She's like, oh, there's a lot of religious books out there. I know. Let's talk about them. The Bible has prophecy in it. And um, <clears throat> Micah 5, 2, where was, where was the Christ? Where was the Messiah going to be born? In Bethlehem. Isaiah um, talks about um, his crucifixion. 
his birth from a virgin. Um, so there's so there's so many prophecies that um, I don't know it kind of sounds like I've, I've known this for a long time, but I think we should be captured again by we should we should have an awe for that, because no other religious writing has has, uh, has even really claimed to do that, and the Bible um, uh, it's just amazing, you know, written over a time period of you know four thousand. Uh, 2,000 years up to 100 A.D., written by 30 to 40 different authors, all, te- all giving a testimony to the same God with fulfilled prophecies, ones that were written thousand, a thousand years before Jesus was ever born, and Jesus fulfilling them. That is amazing. And I, I'm, I'm, that, this is what Aquila and Priscilla shared to Apollos, and he believed it. Um, the, the first truth is the prevailing pr- uh, prophetic truthfulness of the word. And just let me encourage you on a side note. If you're speaking to someone or sharing your faith and, you know, that it comes up, the Bible, and, well, yeah, you know, it's all the same. Um, you know, it's not. Uh, you can say that however you would like. But what I do is, you know what? No, you, know, you, can, you can call me stupid if you want. That's fine. No one really calls Jesus stupid. I've never met anybody who thinks Jesus is stupid. Um, well, you just say, what, what, is, what did Jesus think about Scripture? What did Jesus think about Scripture? Luke, uh, Luke 24. He's walking down the road, right? And he's still walking to Emmaus, and he's like, hey, all these things had to be fulfilled. And it says, and he, uh, um, he spoke from... Uh, I should just read it because it's right in front of me. No, I didn't write it down. But he, the, all of this has been fulfilled. Um, the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Proverbs, and all of Scripture. So he says, not only just little chunks of Scripture, but all of Scripture testifies of me. That, that, that's amazing right there. So when we re- read the Bible, where can we see Jesus in it? Was Jesus crazy? Like C.S. Lewis said, he was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. So you share that to people. What did, what did Jesus think about scriptures? I don't, you know, you can make fun of me because I think they're God's word and they're true. But what did Jesus think about them? He thought not only were they God's word, but that they spoke of him. Um, so that's, a, that's an amazing testimony. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you, uh, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died according to scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to scriptures. Um, go to the next story here, and there's, there's connection here. And this is Paul in Ephesus, um, Acts 19.1. And it happened while Paulus was at Corinth um, that, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Okay, so... Um, Paulus takes off, and Paul comes into Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as, um, as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. So these are probably uh, people who Apollos taught earlier. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that there should be 
that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, and if you want to, you can circle the word heard in your Bible, that's because it's important. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, the men were about 12 in all. So a lot of things in here that we're not going to address because we simply don't have time. And and, um, Jerry Bowen talked a little bit about this last week. But pretty much these people were were still under the Old Covenant because they're disciples of John. John was, uh, you know, kind of the last prophet. And um, he asked them, did you receive the Spirit? Or I'm sorry, he, he asked them, you know, you haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. The truth is they probably heard of the Holy Spirit because John preached about the Holy Spirit. Um, um, Jewish people believed in the Holy Spirit, so it wasn't like they were like, oh, we haven't even, even heard of the Holy Spirit. They had. They just probably they hadn't heard of that he, he's come through Christ. And um, so he says, well, you know, we got to fix that. He preaches the gospel to them. They believe. And they, he lays hands on them. And they speak in tongues. But because these people were largely... I think it's safe to say it's still under the Old Covenant. Um, and the Old Covenant was largely based on works. Um, the Holy Spirit wasn't given, wasn't given to them. In the, old, in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would come and it would go. And it wasn't given to all people. It was only given to special people and to a high priest once in a while and to this guy once in a while and to Samson. It wasn't given to all people. Paul wrote about this in Galatians 3. He says, to the Galatians, he said, this only I want to learn from you. He said, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer is, you know, obvious. They received the Spirit because they heard the gospel and they placed faith in it. Um, Look at Acts 19.5. When they heard, hearing comes by faith, Romans 10.17, but when they heard this, they believed and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, and the whole Romans chapter 10 is just a great chapter. He says, I have a huge desire for my Jewish brothers to be saved. But how are they going to be saved if no one goes? And if no one teaches and no one preaches, um, what are they going to hear? And faith comes by hearing. So he, he, um, he speaks the word to them. Look at verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Verse 10. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Greeks. So our second truth that we see um, uh, about God's word, um, the prevailing priority of God's word is the second truth that we want to look at tonight. Think about it. Paul's in this new place. What did he spend two years doing in Ephesus? Uh, Well, it says he reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus. Um, But think of all the things he could have done. Um, he wasn't serving or feeding the poor, which I'm sure he was doing that on the side. Because when you look back at um, Romans, or I'm sorry, Acts six or seven, six two, 
Remember, there's a need, all these poor people, and they're, hey, these people aren't being fed. What's going on? We need more people to feed. And he's like, "Um, you know, choose among yourself people who are going to serve tables, but I'm going to preach God's word, okay? Um, He, um, you know, he wasn't with his disciples in the room, in some room locked up in Ephesus, just doing, like, pure, like, discipleship. Like, he was publicly um, teaching the scriptures, and he was dialoguing with people. Sometimes that probably turned into an argument, and it was probably passionate, you know, for whatever. But for two years, he gave priority to God's word. Um, and, and you think this makes you think about miracles. And it could, we know that Paul just didn't do miracles when he wanted to. It was, it was God's work through him. But to persuade people, to help, help them open up their mind to see Christ is the prophesied Messiah, and let me show you this, this you know, miracle. Bah! He didn't do that. What did he do? He just reasoned with them logically, and he preached the word to them. And I think that's um, super important, uh, that God's word has the priority, not only in our church and in our bulletin and, and you know, our vision and what we believe to be true, but God has, God's word has priority in our hearts. Amen? <clears throat> So, Paul believed in the priority of the word. Um, I want to, I want to uh, increase that in my own life. Um, so, look at verse 11. <clears throat> this is the third story now. And um, neither Paul or, well, in the beginning, Paul's mentioned, but for the most of the story, they're out of the, out of the story. Verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So when the scriptures say that some miracles are unusual, they're probably unusual, right? Since miracles in and of themselves are unusual. They don't happen all the time. Rare events, wild things happen. The scripture's like, let me just give you a little heads up. This is going to be a very weird miracle. Scripture says that. Uh, So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Wild, right? This is what some people, you know, this is just, it's, it's uh, you know, some people on TV want to mimic. Hey, this little handkerchief touched my head, and it's going to heal you. This is the real deal. Uh, and, and I don't think Jesus, did, he, did Jesus ever do this? He did, uh, sort of, once, right? The woman touched his garment, he was wearing it. But did we ever read of him, like, you know, uh, you know, using a little handkerchief and, and putting it down and it heals someone? We don't read of that. Which gives testimony to the, to, to the, to the truthfulness of Jesus' word when he says, hey, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit and the miracles you saw me do, you're going to do greater than that. So somehow, God's using Paul and handkerchiefs are like, not only healing people, but evil spirits are, are fleeing. So it's very unusual. This catches the attention of uh, some Jewish um, exorcists in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord. And before we go, um, there's stories earlier in Acts where Paul was doing miracles and, and this magician was like, hey, I want, you know, I thought it was a magic trick, right? So when, when Paul is doing these miracles and people are being healed, it's wild and people are, are thinking, you know, he's a magician, or something's going on. 
So that's kind of the backdrop of, of, of this. So these itinerant Jewish exorcists, they, they uh, you know, like, they see this. I mean, they've given their lives to, <clears throat> these are the sons of the high priest. They've given their lives to, to this, and they see a handkerchief that some guy had, and it touches someone, and the evil spirit, they're, they're baffled. They're, they're baffled. So they took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They don't want Jesus. They utterly reject him because that's, what the, that's their faith. Okay? I'm sure they've heard Paul speak. They don't want Jesus, but they want his name to help them do business. And they say, we exercise you uh, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <clears throat> and there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, a chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt, um, leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. <clears throat> Bizarre story. But Chris said, Micah, you get to teach on this story. So there's all kinds of things that can arise out of this, and we can talk about. <clears throat> uh, they probably weren't naked with no, absolutely no clothes, but probably had an undergarment on. But they were wounded. And you think, man, seven guys and, and uh, you know, versus one guy. And I, just, let me just say this, that um, spiritual warfare is real. Jesus himself, again, you think... Uh, that's kind of crazy, Micah. What did Jesus think about that? In the desert, when he was speaking face-to-face with not just an evil spirit, but the evil spirit. You know, what, 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 what's Jesus' opinion on that, on spiritual warfare? Paul writes in, in Ephesians 6, you know, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against darkness and authorities and powers. Um, so, Suffice it to say that spiritual warfare is real, and we need to um, live like it is real, and we need to pray like it is real. Note two, um, what did Jesus do in the wilderness? Uh, what, what, did he, what, was, what would he do? What did he do when he was confronted by the enemy? Time and time again, he went right back to Scripture because it's powerful. Acts 19.17. So this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all. Yeah, why would fear fall upon them all? Because these Jewish high priests, because they just saw this happen. Like, wow. So fear falls upon them all. And then as a result, the name of the Lord, Jesus, was magnified. And many who had believed um, came confessing and telling their deeds. Note that Paul, we don't see Paul, uh, you know, pushing this, or um, this is just the people. They come, and they confess, and they tell their deeds. And magic was uh, a lot bigger then than it is now, and it was part of history, and, and they, people would spend money to buy these really expensive books, and it was kind of like, when I die, I'm going to give it to my kids, and it was a big book that cost a lot of money, and so magic was just kind of a, a part of people's lives back then, and... Um, they, they confess and they tell their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
So it's not like, oh, I'm going to get rid of those books. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't read those books. But they brought them out, and they, they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, which is probably a, um, a Greek drachma, which was a day's wage. So if we consider a day's wage in the U.S. averages to about $120 a day, you're looking at $6 million worth of books being burned. So here's the verse that we end with, um, Acts 19.20. So what happened? This crazy event, what happened? So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So our third truth tonight is the prevailing power of God's word. The prevailing power of God's word. God's word prevails over darkness. Just give you an example. How did Jesus deal with the enemy and spiritual attack upon him? Did he, um, you know, think of some clever thing to say? Because he knew all things. Um, did he run, hide, disappear? What, what did he do? He just simply said, Scripture says this, it has been written, and the enemy fled every time. And the example in Ephesians chapter 6, what is the weapon that God has given us to deal with spiritual darkness? What's the weapon? It's called a sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the Bible. That's our actual tool in which we do battle in the heavenlies is the word of God because it's powerful. Um, <clears throat> note, too, that in this account, um, it's not the word that overpowered the darkness to grow and prevail, was it? The Jewish, the, the exorcists didn't say, hey, Jesus' name, you get out of here. They tried it, it didn't work. What fostered the community, what fostered um, the environment for which God's word grew and prevailed. What did it? People confessing their, skin, their sin. So these people, um, uh, God's word is powerful, yes. But these people, they, they came, they brought these things out, they confessed their sin, publicly acknowledged it, burned it up, and as a result, God's word grew and prevailed. That's interesting. Which means what? <clears throat> means we have a part to play. Amen? We have, we have a part to play in that today, now. Even though probably some of us don't have a clue about magic and don't care about that. But we have a part to play in letting God's word prevail, not only um, just in our hearts and in our families, in our small spheres, but in this church, in our community, as we pray for schools, as we walk by, we have a part to play. Um. <clears throat> If you have your Bible, well, I'll read it to you, but in Hebrews chapter 2, this is an amazing concept. Um, because God's word is powerful. It does prevail. Um, it goes out and it accomplishes that which it was sent for. Okay? Uh, we read of that, that it's, that, you know, there are certain things that when God says it, it's, it's like a hammer. It just happens. Amen. That's true. There's another part to that, too. Hebrews chapter 4, where we get the actual definition for what God's word is, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's Hebrews 4.12. Look at Hebrews 4.2. 
yeah, Hebrews 4, 2, sorry. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says this. He's talking about the people in the Old Covenant. He says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. So for somehow, thousands of years ago, the gospel was preached to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. You just said the gospel, the same gospel that we heard was preached to them, but it didn't profit them. What are you talking about? This is the powerful word of God. It did not profit them. And it says why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God's word was sent out. The, the prevailing priority, the, the prophetic truthfulness of his word the power of his word was sent out the same message he says it's even the gospel message was sent out to them but it did nothing it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith first thessalonians 2 13 says this paul says to this church in thessalonica they're doing well they're, they're they're doing well and he says for this reason we thank god without ceasing because you when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Which works effectively in us who believe. Amen? Not just the gospel message, yeah, I believe Jesus came. But I mean, every promise that God has made, Every promise, you know, I talk to Christian students a lot. Hey, give me some promises of God that you cling to. Usually it's, it's sad, but it's pretty silent. What do you mean? You only know that when we believe in, believe in Jesus that, you know, we're his sons and daughters. But give me some promises, some other promises. The Bible's filled with promises. Do we have faith in them? Um, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. That should excite us, amen? Um, we have a huge part to play. Um, Janice, you can come on up. Um, Return again to Billy Graham. He, uh, you know, sitting at the, at the uh, um, little tree stump next to this rock. Tears start to come down his face. I mean, just put yourself in his position. You're leading hundreds of thousands of people behind a microphone, telling them spiritual truths. At the same time, you're, you're struggling with what you, the Word of God, is it reliable? And your best friend, who, was a, who is a, a charismatic preacher, disagrees with you. Okay? You have a lot on the line. And he says this, he says uh, in his prayer, he says, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word. By faith, he said, I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. Short and simple. From then on, uh, this burden was taken off Billy Graham, and people say that his, his preaching was even more powerful, and um, uh, a more uh, God's word just went out in even more passion and power, and he, and he just felt lifted. Obviously, obviously, that doesn't mean, A, we, we you know, don't pursue any intellectual questions with the word, and, and, and Billy knew that. 
but he did come to a point where he said, I don't understand like this. I don't have the answers, right? But I, but I believe. So someone asked me, Micah, you're a pastor. You've been, been, you've been to school. How old is the earth? Not only do I not know that, but I haven't even given much study to it. But I believe God's word. Um, we do this all the time. Why, why, uh, why did my marriage fall apart? Why does my son have this disability? Why do I struggle with depression? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? We, we, right? We ask these questions all the time. What's the answer? For, for most people, and for myself, is I don't know. God doesn't say, I've given you this because of this. And in the long run, it's really going to look like a blessing. He doesn't say that. And so we say, what Billy says, you know, Lord, I don't know. But um, I believe through faith. And when it comes to God's word, I don't have all the answers. Don't have, don't have all that. But um, may we mimic that and say, Lord, I believe through faith. And even in more powerful ways, may God's word live in us. <clears throat> Billy um, believed in the preeminence of God's word. And my prayer and my hope is that we would too. Amen? Amen. We're going to take uh, communion now. And we're going to um, partake of Jesus, who is the Word in flesh. And uh, let us uh, just meditate upon that.